to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be in the book of Philippians, closing up our time in Philippians, um, finishing up. This is the uh, last section of the book. Um, there's some beautiful stuff in this last section. Sometimes uh, the closing of a letter, um, people can look over it and think there's not a lot of meat there, but there's actually, um, Paul's been using different pieces of Philippians, and then he's going to bring some things out here that I hope that you see are so beautiful as Paul is writing to these people that he loves so dearly. Um, and so... Um, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be looking at, and we're going to go 10 through 23 through the end of the chapter. Um, Now, um, this is a famous section. A lot of people um, think through Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Very well known to a lot of church people, or even people outside the church sometimes. So I actually, you guys know I don't use a lot of... uh, uh, contemporary a media or something, but um, the most famous person that you might remember um, Philippians 4.13 from is Tim Tebow. Now, people give Tebow a hard time. Remember, I mean, he got mocked forever about bowing and taking a knee and stuff like that. Um, people just don't understand. And so one thing, you can disagree with different things, but what's interesting, if you, if you read a little bit about the story, so um, when he did the Philippians 4.13 at the national championship game in Florida, um, his, his, his co- he was actually going to change the, the verse, and they, they said that when it showed and zoomed in and talked about the Philippians 4.13, 90 million views on Google. People Googled. 90 million folks Googled Philippians 4.13. I mean, that's a good start. If that, but, I mean, that, that's a pretty good start for at least getting people to look up and then maybe accidentally end up in some Bible app or something, you know? I mean, so, so that's all right. The Super Bowl, a few years later, Tim Tebow did the same thing. He used John 3.16. 94 million people Googled John 3.16. Now, now, the good end of that, again, is that people were clicking on something that might have accidentally led to them reading some stuff. They're at a miserable place, and they're kind of like, is that in the Bible? The scary part, that's a fourth of the U.S. 94 million, that's a fourth of the U.S. who had to Google John 3.16. So I've told you, I, I feel like it's one out of 10 Americans are truly saved. And I mean, that, just think about Gen, um, Gen uh, the, the millennials and then Gen Z that are they're having to Google. And that was years back. But having to Google John 3.16. So anyway, my point is not to make a, a hit about uh, Tim Tebow, but just the, the, the fact that a lot of people use Philippians 4.13 out of context. Um, so if I was launching a new business this next year, and I'm like, hey, in the name of Jesus, I'm just going to claim that we make $5 million. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they're thinking that because I put that little thing underneath there, that God's obligated now. And they, they put it on the wall. They put it on the, all their pamphlets and stuff like that. Do people still use pamphlets? We probably would. And so like they, they do all that type of stuff. And so then Philippians 4.13. And so we're, we're going to see that Paul has a different idea of Philippians 4.13. So that's why I called it a countercultural Philippians 4.13. Um, and so the, the main points that we're going to have up there is this counterculture. There's three of them. It's pretty simple, but there's a lot of meat in here. So it's um, the first point being this countercultural Philippians 4.13. 
What Paul is actually saying against the, the pre- predominant culture in the Greco-Roman world that was, that was um, so focused on strength and power and influence and domination and, and finances and riches, Paul's going, there's a different type of um, strength that I'm talking about here. And so we're going to see a countercultural meaning of Philippians 4.13. And then secondly, a countercultural generosity that he's speaking about. And it's not only about this Philippian church giving to him. Remember, they'd sent some financial support through Epaphroditus. He's going, there's something much deeper, and it's happening in you. And I don't even know if you guys see what's happening. But it's a countercultural generosity that he's going to bring out. And it's beautiful because it flows out of the generosity of the Father of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, the generosity that they just flow and flow and flow. He's going, that's what's happening with you guys. And it's countercultural to what this world knows. And so, um, and then we'll look at the third point there, just goodbye. So if you want to turn your um, Bibles or we'll have the, the verses on the screen, we're going to read 4, 10 through 13, and then I'll pray. So in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, and the better understanding of that transliteration is in the beginning of your acquaintance with the gospel, when when the gospel was first being preached to you, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, Father, we come to you asking for you to use the power of the Spirit, as Paul just prayed, to give us beautiful depth of understanding. Would you give us greater affections? Would you begin to show us things about our thinking, about our desires, even about our idols, Lord? that take away from your glory, that that steal and rob from your glory. We pray that you would help us to see things that the Spirit would enable us to see in this beautiful passage, that we would end up getting more of you, and that we would be able to um, truly be a part of the body of Christ in a deeper way. We thank you for this, and we pray that you would um, bring through those convictions, um, the beauty of repentance, the beauty of confession, that leads to renewal and rest and greater rejoicing. In your name we pray, amen. So as we, as we look at this, um, the first thing that we'll look at is this countercultural um, Philippians 4.13. And it was, in their world, a completely paradigm shift that Paul's bringing up here because of what they valued. 
And the same thing with our world. We value power, strength, influence, riches, wealth, status, all those things. So, so, so think of God from God's perspective. Here he's got this little groups and gatherings, these little pockets of believers in the midst of culture who go out and work around people, who live in neighborhoods around people, who um, go and, and share time with people, whether it's at work or at play, at restaurants, eating, um, going out and just to, to the people around their lives. And he's going, these pockets of people, I want them to reflect this type of understanding of Christ. Um, Paul teaches us to look beyond our circumstances in this, to rejoice in Christ. It's actually a reality that we don't live in very well, that in him, in Christ, that we would actually find our contentment. So right now we see a great diaspora or a great scattering of people where more people right now are misplaced, are living as refugees in the world than ever in the history of the, of the earth. And, and that was before the, the Middle East and the Ukraine war. There were more refugees living out of their home country. What's it like to be a refugee? And if you were a believer, to, to, to be away from your, your normalcy, to be away from your home, to be away from your church family, all those things. And, and yet they're, they're, Paul's saying, in the middle of this, he's sitting in chains in prison, away from his home, in, in a Roman uh, prison, um, thinking that he's probably going to die. And he's going, I've, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I've got a contentment, a secret to contentment. So that, that's just absurd to us. We, we just can't even really fathom that. So um, as, as Paul says it, he says, um, they were emphasizing the wrong thing is what he's trying to bring out. Um, like I said, they, they valued power and money and status and strength. They also believe that you should never show weakness. So, so think about, you, you've kind of seen some Greco-Roman stuff. You don't show weakness, right? You don't show that you're in need. There's no vulnerability. Why? You show vulnerability, you get squashed, right? Um, you get taken advantage of. Um, Paul, and Paul says, I, I rejoiced in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord, not, not in your gift, but I rejoice in the Lord. And we're going to see it's because of what God is doing in you, what he's creating in you in this. So it's this countercultural view. I rejoice in the Lord because you revived your concern for me. Now, in the church, it should be normal for authenticity and for vulnerability and truth and honesty to just be the people who we are. Now, a lot of times in churches, we kind of go along with our American culture, or maybe if your mom and dad were just, they just didn't, they didn't talk about problems, you just knew they didn't like each other, they didn't get along, they didn't talk much, they didn't communicate, but you know, like you went to church on Sunday and that's the way it is. You just don't break the rules and that, that was it. And so we, we don't learn how to be vulnerable. We don't know how to share our emotions with people, we don't know how to communicate emotionally, to have healthy emotions. And so um, Paul understands that, that that was the culture, and he's, he's going to change this. Um, and I would even suggest that this letter is one that was used. This was not the norm, but in that whole area. And then it became the norm of churches that would read this letter, other churches. And that's how the church began to give generously. And the church began to be a countercultural force that said, we, we do value vulnerability. We do value trust. We do value authenticity and honesty. And we share with, with suffering with one another. We share. It's a body of Christ. If, if the toe's hurting and, and the, the arm is strong, what does the arm do? It loves and helps the toe, right? And so that's, that's his language from Corinthians. So um, it's also an aspect of this. It's not just the financial 
that the body of Christ should be um, talking about. Now, he's talking a little bit about finances, but he's talking about the heart here, and that's where we're going to go to. Um, We could turn this into a sermon only about giving and just press on giving and giving and giving, but I want to let you know that God is not in need of your money, right? He, He doesn't need your money. He wants all of you, though, and that's scarier than your money if you think about it. And so it's beyond the physical needs. Uh, it's also the emotional health of a body of Christ. It's also the relational health of a body of Christ. You have people in your life where you could be open and share things that are going on. When you hit or tough times, r- difficult situations, a, a ch- child gets ill or sick um, financially, your marriage is going through difficulty, you're having a, a kid who's going through a rough patch um, at work, you're afraid of losing your job or some horrible situations. Man, the relational health, the emotional health. And for, for the 50 or 60 people who walked out of the church, what, what you did is said, hey, I don't need any of that. I don't need you, and, and you don't need me. And that's just a misunderstanding of the body of Christ, that, that we, you don't walk out on that. Um, so you guys know I'm transparent to a fault, right? Um, very spontaneous encourager. I'm not the natural all the time. I, I can't stand the fake stuff when you're like, you know, like trying to do the fake stuff. And people do that, and a lot of pastors do it. It's just the professionalism. They're taught to do this. I'm not real good at those things. And a lot of times I, I feel like I should be more like somebody does a great job. I should, you know, singing or something, or someone, I see someone doing something. I mean to go and tell them, hey, I really appreciate that little small thing that you were doing over there. I, I saw that. I mean, I know that's small and tiny, but it's huge. And I could literally, I mean, every single one in here, there's been times I've started texting and I, I, I hold back. So I hold back 70% even. So you're just getting the 30% and you're probably like, whoa, thank you. So um, I'm transparent to a fault. Jamie's brother, Greg, passed away. Um, remember when she was, she was in college and so he was 16, gets, he got killed by a drunk driver. And so Jamie was asked to speak at this thing at NSU with all fraternities, all sororities, all these uh, athletic clubs and all these things. So she's speaking about her brother who had passed away just within 30 days. And so I heard about it. There was a girl who was actually discipling Jamie at the time. Her name was Courtney. Her name was Courtney. And I, um, I, Courtney and I were talking about how a lot of times, even as Christians, we do acts of service. But we kind of stand around there. It's like, you know, putting your money in the tip jar and you keep it there because you want the guy to see you putting the dollar in there. And you slowly, like, you know, like George Costanza, and like you pull it, I've got to put it back in there and just to make sure that they notice that I did this. And so we talked about what if we start just doing things anonymously, just giving things anonymously. So I write this card, this card, and um, I'd met Jamie three or four times at this point. She had no idea, you know, who I was. And so, it, we met three or four times. I write this card and it's talking about like, I see all these things in your life because she was just flourishing, coming to Christ and flourishing in him and all these great things are going on. And so I was pouring out this stuff, very transparent, authentic stuff. Here's what I see. And then I signed it, a friend on the outside who cares. Just, you know, I see all the things that you're following Christ. I don't know that I could be worshiping God if my brother was just killed three, three, 30 days ago. You know, and so like, um, I was like, I put all that stuff anonymously, Right. And so um, some people go, well, that's really just kind of creepy, Sankey. Um, my boys, I get texts to them all the time uh, that I'll just send. Like if I see certain things going on with them, maybe something needs to be confronted, corrected. And they're probably sitting in school sometimes just like, what, what is dad talking about? Like, and, it, and it may be like this long on the text thread. You know, it's not one of those ones like this. And so the same thing with Jamie there, um, when, when after that thing she spoke at, um, 
there were some girls that were gathered around. And so then I kind of wondered, I thought, man, I, I wonder, you know, maybe her family's like that type that we'll never talk about this again. We'll never talk about Greg again. And so the, I said, hey, did you happen to know? And one of the girls knew that I had written her this card. And she's like, all I know is she was just, just really upset and in tears afterwards, just crying. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done this. You know, like it, maybe it affected her in the wrong way. And so then story goes on. And anyway, we ended up getting married. I don't think it was because of that. She had sent me a birthday card one time and she signed it the same way. Within the next few months, she sent, sent a birthday card and signed it. Uh, a friend who cares also. And like it, it's, there's people gathered around. As I read it, I was like, I think that's Jamie. And so we had this thing. And so she doesn't know I was the one who wrote that card back then in case you didn't know. And so um, a, a few weeks ago, one of our, one of our boys coaches his dad just suddenly passed away last year. And this guy, so this guy teaches Bible, and he, he's a great coach, but he's a, he's a greater Christian. And, and so he, he challenges our boys. It's not, hey, memorize this verse, you know, have a test on Friday. He challenges them to think through stuff. So like at one point, another one of the coaches had literally like called Sankey aside. He probably did some wrong thing in football. He's like, hey, get over here, Sankey. He's like, hey, number one, follow God, man. Give your life to God completely. And that's incredible. For a guy to like the first thing, like you do a route wrong, and the first thing he says is, you need to get God in your life, number one. Number two, here's the way this thing goes, you know, like, and so that's great. And this, this other guy, he teaches Bible, and our boys, we've had 20, 25 conversations in the car, driving, at the dinner table, all about these things about the, that this coach brings out and stuff. And so I just wanted to appreciate him. One of my friends who's a dad of, of boys also said, hey, man, did you know that uh, this, this coach's dad, you know, it's a year anniversary from when his dad passed away. He's taken the day off. And he's, he's going to spend some time. He's still got to be at practice later this afternoon, but he's going to go and kind of get alone, do some worship. So I was like, man, this guy's sitting out in a boat fishing, just thinking and thanking God, thanking God for his dad. So I sent him this text. Again, it's probably this long. I've had four conversations with this guy. Like, we're not close at all. And like you, I, I was like Paul screaming at him like, hey, 10 seconds into attorney, all that matters is what we lived our, our life for. Your dad was incredible. I lost my dad, so I went to this huge transfer. He's probably like, this is a psycho. Like, do I need to contact the school? But what I, what I was wanting to do there, I, I, I get it. And I want them to know I care, but I also want to know that God is in the middle of this with you. So, so I'm very I'm transparent in those things. I want I just authenticity, and it just comes like, like a fire hose sometimes. And so if you ever get one of those, just know I was probably praying for you, and, and you just got that. And so that's countercultural. Jamie says people don't appreciate that type of transparency and authenticity that I think that everyone likes. She's like, no, they, they don't. They, they don't like it even when you do that. Like, you know, she's like, small group. Oh, I always feel like that, you know, like if we go to the depths of our soul in small group, me and Tyler joke about that a lot. We're always like, if we can just get people to do that. And then James like, people don't like that. They, you know, it's their first time visiting or, and so um, I always think, man, if we could just get people to go to those depths, I feel like the church would be phenomenal if we had that kind of heart. And so again, a lot of people go, no, and not that Jamie says that, that that wouldn't be good, but she's just like, people aren't thinking like that when they come to visit. They're going like, if I can meet two people that I feel comfortable with. And so um, this is what Paul's challenging. So this is what our church culture is made up of. Um, and Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, not just because of the gift, but because of what you are, are becoming like. You're becoming more like Christ. So I want to show you what that looks like. Um, Paul's talking about something deeper. Um, let's, let's take a picture of this. Any family, and uh, they have a need come up. Water heater goes out, right? Car breaks down. 
Um, air conditioning, you know, one of those types. Of, it could be 500, could be 1,000, could be 1,200, whatever. Small group that they're in just goes, hey, someone just texts anonymously, hey, hey, why don't we all just chip in $50 each? Why don't we just chip in $100 each? And then we could help them cover that. So I want you to think with me for a second. That, that may seem small, right? Um, and then there, there's obviously, there's people that may, they may have $5,000 back in savings. There's people, ten dollars or $15,000 in savings. Would it hurt them to go, hey, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and give 200 or 300. We've got 15,000 in the bank. Now, I will let you know, when I, I pressed on this at, at, back in Tahlequah, one of the churches we were at, and it, it, I tried to press not only on the thinking of this, but like on the active doing of this. And so sometimes we would kind of gather some money together and here's a thousand dollar need. And I'd have people literally, I'd have a couple of people that sometimes would come and be like, well, hey, listen, I know we got a thousand for that. I heard that what it come down, that they got another uh, estimate. It's only cost 800. Should we all give that? No, no, no. Be abundantly. So, so they got $200 extra. Let, let them do whatever that maybe they give it to somebody else or something. We don't have to start like, oh, let's all take our money back now. Do, do, you see, do you see that? You see that concern? And what has God done? Abundantly, recklessly, you keep sinning. Even as believers, you keep falling into this. And all I do is pour out grace on you. Generously, generously, all the time. That's all I'm known by. I wouldn't want to do too much. Wouldn't want to do too much. Because we're going to have this. Paul's going, I love what I'm seeing in you, Philippians. What, let's think through that, that, that same situation. It could be some of the poorer families in the church. It could be the middle-class families. It could be some of the wealthier families. Let's think through the wealthier family. Here comes a small group person says, hey, man, we, we got this $1,200 we wanted to help you with. What's their feeling immediately? We, we can't take this. And they're, they're, in their mind, they're going like, we, I mean, we're not prideful about it at all, but we know we're one of the wealthiest families here. Like this is like that. I make that at 9 a.m. From 9 to 10, I make 1,200. And there's people that, that do that all over the place. What has to happen there? Do you see the beauty? Number one, they can use it to, to cover that thing. They could just give it away to someone. They've got so much money. Secondly, they experience tangible love and care and action, and it will affect them. It may make them more generous. Like, we're way wealthier than those people. And think about the, the, the couple that maybe, if, if this has happened before, and, and people gave them 1,000, 800, 500, whatever, all they could give was 50 or 25. But you know what? They're a part of the body. They're the toe that's going, hey, I got to give $50 to that person that lives in a place that I will never even, I can't go on vacation and stay in a place as nice as their house. But I was part of this body. And those people, it takes humility. They receive humility in receiving that. In the midst of this people, they receive humbly. It's a beautiful thing. And then bonus, what kind of reputation goes on? This person who's pretty wealthy, really known, maybe a powerful person, and, and they're like, yeah. This last week, our water heater went out. Our small group, like 12, 15 people, gave us $1,200. Their, their, their co-workers, someone's like, what? What, what for? You're, you've got it all. Like, I know. We don't, we don't even know what to do. Do you see what's getting communicated about the body of Christ? 
Do you see what's getting pictured there by the community around them? Everyone gets to be a part of that. God wants much more than your money. Paul's not thanking them for the financial gift alone. He's going, I see what's happening. You're getting a picture and understanding about Jesus. It's going deeper. It's changing you. You're being conformed into the image of Christ. And are you making the connection that this is, here's the one who created all things out of nothing, right? All things. No need of finances. Just blink your eyes. If you needed, you know, you're at Taco Bell. If Jesus is at Taco Bell and just needs it, just blinks his eyes. And he, he's got enough cash, right? He can create. He, he has all the fame, all the glory, all the money, all the land, all the riches, all that. And, and what does it say in Philippians earlier of what we read? If you've learned anything in Philippians 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, He's changing you, any affections or sympathy for one another, complete my joy, being of the same mind, the same love, in one accord, of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significantly than you count yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not about the money that you're giving. It's about a heart that sees others and goes, hey, I know that would be a concern for me. Count others' interests as as yours. And then act on it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. That was his. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This was supposed to be not radical Christianity, not radical countercultural. Like, man, have you heard about this church that lives this way? This is supposed to be the ABCs. This is supposed to be, oh, oh, you're a believer? Okay, then here's how we operate. Oh, hold on a second. They've got a need over here. Come on, come with us. That was how it was supposed to operate. The ABCs, not this is radical for the church that we would, we would give and be supportive and do these things. And the one who did that in the form of God, left all that, humbled himself, came and suffered and was mocked to die in our place. And he generously pours out his life. And Paul's going, you're getting a picture of that. You're giving out of your poverty, not out of your wealth. So Philippians was not one of the, the rich places. Corinthians was a rich place. Ephesus was a rich place. There's a Thessalonica was sort of a rich place. The Philippians were the poor group. And so what Paul says in Corinthians and what he's saying here is, you, you guys know that um, when I was struggling and all this stuff was going on and had nothing, all those other churches, the richer churches, they didn't give. So it'd be like the, the, the guy that runs Southern Hills up here. Go, man, I just don't know what, we, we've got this huge, huge need. And man, now we're going to have to look at how can we meet this need at Southern Hills? And the people at 61st and Peoria go, hey, we've got something that can help. No, you, you shouldn't be the ones helping with that. You're, you're much poorer than we are. And Paul's going, we saw that. I saw that. God saw that. And so I rejoice in love towards God. I rejoice greatly in how God worked in you. Not just in the money I receive, but in you maturing, understanding, and acting more like Christ. So, so I hope you see God wants more than your money. He wants all of you. If, if, imagine this story. 
you're at some service thing where you're going to serve a part of the community, maybe an under-resourced area, and you're the parents. So if you're a kid, just think through. If you're older and you had children or something, if, if you have, if you have a, a child that is, is helping out and they're doing some little tasks, and, and you see this person that you don't know, an outsider, maybe a, a little meagerly woman that's over there, and she sees your child kind of help and serve and stuff, and she's thinking, oh, man, what a sweetheart. So she pulls out a $100 bill and gives that $100 bill to your kid. And what she's thinking and what hits your head is like, oh my gosh, I hope my kid does the right thing with this $100, right? Like she's obviously thinking he will take that $100 and go and give that to those who have nothing, right? Have no resources, right? And in your mind, you're like, please, please don't, you know, just like take it and stuff it in your pocket and walk back out to the car. Like, what am I buying, right? So as a parent, you would be going like, man, he just freely received an abundance that he didn't deserve, the natural, beautiful, deep thing. would He's in the midst of a people who have nothing, have no resources. Obviously, you just pass that on, right? How would it feel if you're that parent and you see that kid going, uh-uh, I just got 100 bucks for that lady. And you're like, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I think that she meant for it to go to them. No, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. Is that what God's looking at with us in all the abundance and abundance that he pours out. Paul's talking about this secret, so this, this God-given contentment in Christ. He's in, I'm, in verse 11, he says, it's not because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I've been in that place. I know what it is even to have plenty and to prosper. I know both of those things. I know what it is to be hungry and what, what it is to be living in plenty and want. And he's going, but, but what I learned in that was that God doesn't want just my money. He wants all of me. There are some scriptures that talk about this that go right along with this. So this idea of contentment. You know, they asked Warren Buffett, um, how much would be enough for you, Warren Buffett? If you know, you're just multi-billionaire, one of the richest men in the world. How much would be enough? His answer has always and consistently been just a little bit more, just a little bit more. What if we get to face Jesus one day, true believers, and he goes, man, you had the same heart as Buffett. And I, I gifted you with intelligence. I gifted you with ability. I gifted you with things, and, and, things, and you, you took it all. And you were like that little kid who just kept the $100 to yourself. Now, I, I know that there's needs, but, but, but what about? What about? Poured out freely. So contentment, it doesn't come naturally for most people. It, it also doesn't come easily. Um, if you think through contentment, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. This works in the practicals. Contentment is a, is a wall of protection. If you learn to be content, guess what? Husbands don't go, I'd rather have that woman over there now instead of my wife. I'm content. I mean, her health failed. Her, her, she, she went through a horrible situation. And man, her health is just really, and now for two years, I'm laboring my, with my wife. I love her more now, and I understand her more deeply in her suffering and me suffering with her than going, man, I want my 50s and 60s to be still skiing and going out and, and going to the beaches and doing all that stuff. And man, she's really kind of been a drag. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, contentment, that's the safe barrier from all those things. All that. And so think through your jealousies, 
your greed, your envious states, all those things. Contentment beats away envious. It's a way of mortifying the flesh. Contentment. Hey, I see this. I joke about the tundra trucks all the time. You know, we're driving around and like, you know, my heater doesn't work. And so I'm like, man, I bet that guy's heater works as a 2020 or 2019 tundra. I'm sure his heater's blowing hard. And so, man, hey, Lord, I'm fine sitting here. You see, just praying those things and being in contentment. Um, take some time this week to think through, maybe three or four times this week, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where your heart is with contentment. Because Paul found this gift, this secret from God about contentment. And it's so subjective for us. And we're in a culture that just wants more and more and more and more. So let's go to these scriptures here that talk about this same idea that he's bringing out this mindset. Um, He's redefining contentment. He's moving it from a self-sufficient posture filled with pride to a godly humility given from the Lord. Um, And notice this, he's speaking, the way he says this, he says, I learned to be content, which means I learned to be disciplined with my thinking and my actions in poverty. You know, there's that famous saying that a lot of people will survive poverty, but a lot of people will not survive extreme uh, prosperity. And so um, the Bible has many scriptures warning about the love of money. And Paul has said, I've learned to be content in poverty. But notice what Paul's also saying. I've also learned to be content and disciplined in prosperity. The Bible has many warnings and paints a picture where there is great potential for spiritual disadvantage for those of worldly wealth. So a great spiritual disadvantage of having more and more and more worldly wealth. And yet, what do I desire? What do you desire? 1 Timothy 6. Says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What Paul just said, I'm seeing great godliness in you guys. You're, you're, I've learned to be content. You're learning to be content, and you're still giving and sacrificing. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Is that your level of contentment? Food and clothing. But those who desire to be rich, who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare. What's, what's tricky about a snare? You don't see it. You step on something grabs you, you're trapped, you're captured. That's the word snare. You don't, you don't realize it. You're trapped and captured. You could just be content with what the Lord's given. You're trapped. And it leads many into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Doesn't look like it. See my house? See my other belongings? See, see our vehicles? See our vacation places. See the trips that we get to take. See my bank account. Ruin. Destruction. Are you kidding me? Furthest thing from what God's talking about. Furthest thing from God's perspective of generosity poured out, poured out, poured out. Have you ever given out of poverty? 
Have you ever given sacrificially after you got out of your 20s maybe? 20s or 30s? I'm talking sacrifice. You don't have any. You have zero in your account, but you're going to scratch to get 300 for somebody else. Not, I've got 5,000 in the bank, or I've got 500 in the bank, I'm going to give 300. Completely different thinking there. Completely different. In Luke 12, listen to this. This is Jesus. He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Be on your guard. Be, be very careful. Now, what are we careful about? What are we on our guard against? Somebody get my stuff. Anyone got the, the, all the cameras? Poorest people I know, you could, you could be living in a, a $2,000 trailer, and they've probably got one of those, you know, the cameras on the door, whatever the name of that is, you know? It's like, because you ain't getting my stuff. I got, I got $200 worth of stuff in my, all my belongings, like, but you ain't getting it. We're, we're careful. We're on guard against theft. We're on guard against um, being poor. We, we work really, really hard. We're, we're very defensive about not ever entering into poverty, right? But we're not on guard about all covetousness. In fact, it's, it, it can be valued. In fact, churches will even teach, here's the three points. You go get it. God deserves it. Your best life now. All of those things is being taught as principles and values in the church. And Jesus says, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Jesus just makes up this story. So when Jesus makes up a story, anytime you enter a parable, he's got a, a big key idea. And he's going, they're, they're going to only get this if I make up this story. The story's particular parts are not the, the big key. The, the whole point of it is what I'm trying to bring to them, right? I'm making up characters. So don't try to interpret theological points and don't build theology off of parables. The main point is what Jesus wanting you to see there, okay? Let me tell you guys a story. There's a land of a rich man, very rich man. He produced plentifully and he thought to himself, man, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. What shall I do? Anytime that's going on, know there's a God that has poured out blessing and blessing is going, yeah, let's see. What will you do with that? What will you do with that giftedness that those other eight people around you didn't get? What will you do with that intelligence that allows you to do this that those other people maybe didn't get? What, what will you do? So remember this guy's question. And remember that God is also asking, what will you do with all this? And he said, the guy in the parable says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barn. So here's mankind's answer. And I'll build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose are they going to be now? Point of the story two ways of living. Doesn't matter the little variables about the, the story so far, Jesus, two types of living. So is the one, is this you, who lays up treasure for himself or the one who is rich towards God? Two types of people. You live in this life, storing up for yourself, or you live in this life, laying up treasure in him. By faith, 
I don't know what's going to be. I don't know if I have better pictures, better water pressure in heaven in my shower. I don't know if I have, you know, if I get a nicer area that has a view of the, uh, something greater than the ocean and the beaches. Like it's not going to be just a little bit better, right? So it's not going to be, and I see people all around me living as if this 70 years or 50 years or 40 years, this is it. We've got to live it all right here. This is all we get. We're living like pagans. We're living like people that have no idea that there's, there's something greater. And Paul says it later. He, he says, hey, this is to your account. What you're doing right now and this little bitty gift, it wasn't that much. It was nothing. But that little bitty thing, it was great godliness. And it's going to go to your account in heaven. So are you rich toward God? What does it look like to be rich toward God? You will face God in one of those two categories. And everything in us, in your own heart, and everyone around you, and everything in marketing, and everything about your financial guru, and everything about Dave Ramsey, what's the quote? Live like no one now, because man, you can live like no one else later, right? Well, I think Dave's a Christian. That's not a Christian thought at all. Right? And I, I, I hope you use Dave's principles, but I hope that you, you don't keep doing stored and stored. Like, oh, but Dave said this, and Dave said this, and oh, here are these people right here in need. And Jesus is going, you're missing it. I want to see this. 1 Timothy 6, the same thing we were reading earlier, it says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And I think most people go, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You know how you set your hopes? It's your desires. It's not just the end time hope. Oh, no, I would never set my hope on like what money can buy. I know I'm not stupid. Money can't buy me into heaven. But man, 99% of my living now on this earth is for entertainment, for comfort, for ease, for, for just, just pleasures. When here's people right around me that have little or nothing, that have needs. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. So, so start asking yourself, are these the things that I'm living out? To, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, as they take hold of that which is truly life. Every one of us in this room is rich. One point something percent of the world's population has a college degree. You have a master's, even less, a doctorate. To own your own house, to have more than one vehicle when other places across the world. And so don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not shaming you because the same God who is saying this to watch out on your heart, he puts you in this place. He lets you be born in that family. He lets you be born in a part of the country. He gave you abilities and stuff. But we take his gifts and, and abilities and we turn it into this idolatrous lust for more and more and more. While right there, we're not having time to make disciples. We're not having time to invest in our own family. We're not having time to share with the needs of others. Like Paul said, sharing in the sufferings. That would be a radical thing. No one likes that idea. And, and Paul's saying that that's just the norm. They gave out of their sacrifice and poverty. 
So contentment in God, it's a countercultural contentment. It leads to care for others and also leads to being rich in God, laying up treasure in heaven. Man, we have no idea how great heaven is going to be. And if we just invest all of our time storing up and stocking up for your 50s and 60s and 70s, I I don't know how many funerals and how many people that I've seen that they, they, they planned on their 60s and 70s and then at 58, cancer. At 62, a heart attack. At 63, a car wreck. At 64, uh, just, just uh, living in assisted living. Diabetes, and they, they can't do anything. And yet they, their whole life, they've stored it up and stored it up and stored it up. And Paul's saying, that this, you've completely missed it. And so this, this countercultural generosity looks like this. In Mark 12, Jesus brings this up. Beautiful picture again. Jesus telling story. He sat down opposite of the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. So Jesus purposely goes and sits down, and he's just sitting there, and there's this offering box, and this was uh, very common in the Jewish temples. And he's watching, and you guys know the story. Many rich people put in large sums. And then a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he calls his disciples over to him, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. God wants more than just what you're giving. He wants you to have this complete, um, just um, generous, overwhelming, um, giving heart. Jesus flips the story here, this, this very rude and confrontive way. So he says to them, do you see what she did? She gave out of her all. Did you see that, disciples? Let's go. They get up and they walk out. 20 seconds later, they're walking out. As he came out of the temple, one of the disciples comes up. Jesus, Jesus, did you see? Look what wonderful stones. Look what wonderful stones they built and what wonderful buildings they've done. Did you remember our conversation? Now, we can give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the disciple was going, he's the new Messiah. He's going to be the new king. He's going to set up his new kingdom. This is going to be all for you, Jesus. It's all fancy and ornate and beautiful and expensive and all these incredible things. It's going to be yours if you're the new king, right? And Jesus just rebukes him sharply, rudely. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I just told you what kingdom thinking looks like. And you go to the the extremes and the richest things and go, that's what it's about? I just told you a few seconds ago what it's about. Spurgeon says this, Paul bore record that they're liberal. And this is all, by by the way, this is Spurgeon's commentary on Philippians 4 using Mark 12. Um, Paul bore record that their liberality was up to the utmost limit of their power. Yea, and beyond their power, a little from them would have been more than a much larger sum from richer people. Our gifts are not to be measured by the amount that we contribute, but by the surplus kept in our own hand. What are you measuring it by? It's not measured by 
the big sum that you put in at that one time. Everyone see that? It's right here. Here's how much we're doing. We're good Christian folk. We tithe, we give. Everyone see that? God goes, I see how much you're holding on to. Remember I told you earlier, there's times when we would try to give, here, here, here's, we got $1,200 we're going to give to this young couple. They got this issue going on with the car. You know, they got an issue going on with their house, whatever it is. And people are like, oh, hold it, hold it. Like, we're giving 1200 Because I heard him say that it was only 900 Shouldn't we keep back 300 of that? Our gifts are not measured by the amount we contribute by, but by the surplus kept in our own hand. I'm terrified as I have a great concern of Americans around me, people killing it here, living in incredible abundance. And I'm talking about people who show nothing of spiritual evidence, nothing other than do the cultural expectation. They, they place themselves around Christian stuff. They, they may go to a, a church and sit and, and go once or twice a month, or they may um, go to Christian things sometimes, but there's no evidence, and this is exactly what they're doing. They're hoarding back. I'm afraid many of them are holding false belief. They're not saved. And then also there are people who are truly saved but have bought more into the American dream than biblical Christianity. Do not lay up reward. They do not lay up reward in heaven, living as if this world is all that there is. So Paul's bringing that up. So so think through the parents of that, that little child. What would you be pleased with? Kids in the middle of people who they can recognize that have little resources. Man, there's been, I can't tell you how many times on a Monday or Tuesday our boys come in with three of them and go, Dad, we got to get, we got to get, we have to get shoes and we have to get this, these pads and this. And we go to Dick's and we're just like, oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, and of course, you know, there's, of course, nowadays just regular shoes are like, hey, these are 180. You know, and we're like, hey, sorry, boys. <laughs> like, sorry. Like, we feel like if we, we could just get you these right here, like, hey, the school's offering them for 75, and we're so thankful. We're like, hey, school just sent an email. We're like, we're so thankful. And then we go and play some kids, and guess what? You see a kid who's nine years old, whose one shoe is this long, and the other shoe is this long. Not matching colors. But he's playing. He's thankful to play the game. Doesn't have matching shoes. And I, I was worried about, oh, I wish I could get them the 140. Or the 120. Oh, we, oh, my poor kids. We've got to get them the $70 school ones. And they're playing kids that don't even have matching socks, matching shoes. Very quickly, you're going, man, it's not so bad. Contentment. People who are saved, living the, more of the American dream than biblical Christianity, not worried about um, piling up for heaven. I wonder what God sees and feels as he provides so much for us in the midst of others who have so little. Does he see our hearts insisting on the surplus that we hold back and keep in our hands? So, so as a church, Tulsa is known for prosperity gospel. It's known for every sermon, every, no matter where you're at, it's going to be about money, Right? And, and guaranteeing you that in the name of Jesus, close your eyes, you know, uh, shake your hands. And in the name of Jesus, if you give this much, give more and more and more. And, and yet these monuments, these institutions are built, just millions upon millions upon millions. And, and yet the person that keeps giving, their, their life can still be in waste, right? And so Tulsa is known for this. So we're going to be faithful at Sojourn. So when, it, when, when we go through the scriptures, 
um, I'm not going to hold back. From not, from not just an American perspective, but from just a biblical perspective, we have to be faithful. And so we go through books, and when the book gets to a part about money, we're not going to skip over it because and there's other churches that want to skip over it and not bring up the money things and not at all try to tap on our little idolatries because we, we swim in this water. We breathe this air. It's just part of who our, our country has become. Um, and so for, for me to go, it would be dangerous to your soul if I go, man, whether you're poor or middle class or rich in our congregation or people listening online, for me to go, hey, I don't want to bring this up because I don't want to offend them. But I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my own self, my desires. I'm worried about my desires for my family. And I may not have near as much as you, but facing God going, man, did I have this heart and this mentality of always more worried about how much I'm storing up versus, man, are, are there needs? How can we give that? How can we meet those needs? And again, people will probably get defensive and walk like, oh, I can't believe, you know, we're supposed to work hard. We're going to start counting the Proverbs of, you know, we're, we, the ant stores up and there's the sluggard. I'm just trying not to be a sluggard in the name of Jesus. Jesus is very clear. Scriptures are so clear. So if your heart is like just defensive, man, my, my word, easy. is cake compared to the day you face this guy. He sees everything. He, he, he sees even beyond your actions. He, he knows the heart behind it. And what I'm saying is Paul saying, this is it. He wants more than your money. He wants all of you. And he sees your heart that's stubborn and rigid on these things. You're not wrong for taking a vacation, for owning a home, for having those things. Don't walk away hearing that. Um, you're not wrong, but you are wrong and evil and sinful. If you do all of that and you're not doing the obedient things of the Christian life, and many, many, many are. And Paul ends it all by saying, man, glory be to God. I see what's going on here. I see what you've done. But more importantly, I see the church that you're becoming. Man. Out of poverty, you've given. You are understanding that God wants all of you. And so um, he closes the letter with that beautiful thing and then it ends with grace. He started the book, Grace and Peace, from our Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends the book, Grace. Slap in the face on these things, but hey, this is, this is the way it should be. And then, hey, I, I, I give grace to you. So I know that can be a brutal thing. For us to hear because just even even some of us that could be the poorest could still be considered rich in this world and that's the reality we live in um so we're going to be faithful to god and we're going to we're going to look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures hold out for us um there um there are things to think through the walkaways look at the uh walkaways there what do you take away from god's word to us in philippians it might be good to take some, some notes and a phone or a journal, just some key things that have stuck out to you, key areas for growth and devotion and affections as we've went through the book of Philippians. Where's your heart with this idea of countercultural contentment? Where's your heart with this idea of countercultural generosity? And again, I just want to say you're always going to justify. Your heart is always and immediately going to have justifiers on why. That's not wise. Why that's not good. Why they may take it and waste it and spend it. They haven't done well. That's why this has happened. Your heart's always going to have those justifiers. 
What would it look like to live as sojourners laying up treasure in heaven because he has captivated us? So I hope this new paradigm shift is not just about money, but that God wants much more of us. Let's pray. 